We are a spoiled church. We get to hear great music every Sunday, and I'm grateful. We didn't forget the Hebrew lesson. I'm going to read it in a few moments, but I wanted uh, the choir to sing and to say a few words before we read the scripture this morning. The choir sang of a, a God who is known in creation, which is an important and very beautiful and relevant thing. I hope you are tuning into this God of creation. I hope today you'll roll down the windows of your car and turn the air conditioning off and feel the breeze of life and, and connect to God in whatever way that you do through all the things that the choir just sang about, all the ways that creation reveals the mystery and the glory of God. This morning we want to look at this second book of the Bible following the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus, and to explore it under the theme from no way to God's way. But I want to say a few words by way of a preface so that we can hopefully uh, see and track in the same way. The first thing I want to say, by, <clears throat> which to state the obvious, I'll say by way of an, an illustration My niece Leslie uh, came to Louisville this week to pick up the clothing of her son who had been kicked out of a halfway house here in the city. He'd been arrested. She's already watching his three-year-old son on the weekends, along with her younger daughter's two small children, the younger daughter's also in jail on drug-related charges. Since she was in Louisville to pick up his clothes, she thought she would go by our house and visit. Apparently, she thinks I only work here on Sundays and that I would be home, but I wasn't home. I don't know if you know this, but I don't just work on Sundays. But it was her good fortune that I was not at home. Terry was home. And Terry stopped at what she was doing and gave my niece seven hours of her day where they talked and thought and cried and prayed or or just thought through things. And Terry was able to use the gifts that God has placed in her, which are just so natural about legal issues or caring for children or working with uh, teenagers. And Leslie left seven hours later. Nothing resolved but her cup full. So here's my question. Can you see God in that story? I didn't mention God in the story, but can you see it? If you can see it, then maybe you can see it in the story of the Exodus. Because whether it's yesterday, the story of Terry and Leslie, or whether it's the ancient story of the Exodus... It's about this mystery of love that is mostly detected, experienced. It's not proven. It's not quantified. It's not located. But God is the presence and the active force of goodness, of kindness, of liberation that gets embodied in ordinary people who are tuned into God, who who are tuned into the sacred dimension of life, and as a result, they become conduits of God on earth. 
And really what we do on church on Sunday is we put a word to it, God. This thing we detect, this sacredness in the ordinary, is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, of Sarah, and Rachel, and Rebecca. It's the God of all creation. It's the God of all good and faithful people. And so we come in here and we pause and we give our thanks and we feel that oneness. So that's the first thing I would say. The second thing is this. I know that the book of Exodus is found in, in the Bible. And thus we hear it mostly as a religious story. But Exodus is really a story about ordinary, run-of-the-mill people. It's experiencing oppression and how there's this mystery of love which will come and will work to set people free whether we're talking about the children of Israel whether we're talking about people in the United States today who feel oppressed or whether we're talking about your home and your life and what you brought into this space this morning that weighs you down and keeps you from living into the fullness of life that God wants us all to have. Oppression requires two things. It requires oppressors, people with power and privilege who, out of their power and privilege, forget that they're connected to others, and they begin to ignore or disdain that which is different than them. So oppressors and ordinary people who just by virtue of their race or their religion or their habits or their lifestyle are somehow seen as other and then scapegoated and dehumanized and demonized and eventually enslaved. So there's many forms of oppression, economic Spiritual, emotional oppression, gender oppression, race, religion, political parties. But Exodus, and hopefully your presence here today, says that there is more to life than oppression. That there's also this unifying force of goodness and compassion we call God, who creates this divine convergence where good things happen. Let's read the text. Exodus chapter 1 follows the story of Joseph, which is a story of brothers uh, uh, being jealous and taking their brother Joseph and selling him into slavery. But the story is reconciled. The brothers are brought back together. Joseph somehow sees God in this mess. You intended it for bad. God intended it for good. So Joseph becomes the number two guy in Egypt. So when there's a famine in the land of Israel, Jacob and all the children come to be with their brother that they were formerly estranged from, and there's harmony. Let's read the text. Judy, I think I'm going to need your glasses again. These These letters didn't get any bigger between the 9.30 and the 11 o'clock service. (laughs) I picked Judy's out because I think they look the best on me. (laughs) 
These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Iskar, Zebulon, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died. And all his brothers and that whole generation died. But the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. Now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them or they will increase and in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. They built supply cities, Pithom and Ramses for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more the children of Israel multiplied and spread so that the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites. The Egyptians became ruthless in imposing tasks on the Israelites and made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and every kind of field labor. They were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. The king said to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other Pua, when you act as midwives to the Hebrew women and see them on the birth stool, if it's a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, she shall live. But the midwives feared God. They did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but they let the boys live. So the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this? Allow the boys to live. The midwives said to Pharaoh, Because the women, Hebrew women, are not like the Egyptian women. They're vigorous. They give birth before the midwives come to them. There's a little humor there. I hope you catch it. I would have used my best Jewish accent, but I don't have one. It would have been great right there. So God dealt well with the midwives. And the people multiplied and became very strong. And because the midwives feared God, God gave them families. Then Pharaoh commanded all the people, Every boy that is born to the Hebrews you shall throw into the Nile, but you shall let every girl live. Now, A man from the house of Levi, one of the Hebrews, went and married a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine baby, she hid him for three months. When she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket and for him and plastered it with bitumen and pitch. She put the child in it and placed it among the reeds on the bank of the river. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to take a bath at the river while her attendants walked beside the river, and she saw the basket among the reeds and sent her maid to bring it. When she opened it and saw the child, he was crying, and she took pity on him. This must be one of the Hebrews' children, she said. Then the baby's sister said to the Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get you a nurse from the Hebrew women to nurse the child for you? Yes. So the child went and called the child's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child and nurse it for me, and I will give you your wages. 
So the woman took the child and nursed it. When the child grew up, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and she took him as her son. She named him Moses, Moshe, because she said, I drew him out of the water. The word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. There was a king who knew not Joseph. That is to say, a king who didn't trust the old agreements, the old alliances. A king who felt insecure by the people. There are too many of them who aren't like me. And so the Pharaoh begins to incite fear. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, with them, us and them, in and out, good and bad. And let's renege on the arrangement. We knew they came as our honored guests from Joseph, who worked so faithfully for the Pharaoh. But now, let's change the conditions. Let's say that it's patriotic to revoke their freedoms, to demand more from them, to be ruthless with them. Here's how you can tell when things are going in the opposite direction of God. Things like kindness and humanizing go away, and things like ruthlessness and shrewdness take their place. The king demands genocide. He instructs these midwives, the the delivery women, who have this gift of bringing life into the world. He demands of them, now you become instruments of death instead of life. But something interrupts his plans. It says in verse 17, But the midwives, Shipra and Pua, feared God. Which didn't mean they were afraid of God. It meant that they reverenced God. Here are two women, probably illiterate, probably not having had much formal religious training. This is an early, early story, remember? But somehow, because they are in tune with life, they're they're people who give birth to babies. They're in tune with creation. They're in harmony with the sacred. And so they intuit that they cannot do what the king has told them to do. That somehow out of this dead end, out of this no way, they have to find another way that would be God's way because The midwives reverence God. I love this. I love Shipra and Pua. If we'd have had twin girls, I would have named them Shipra and Pua. (laughs) The Bible's first two civil disobedient people who say no. Think about it. They have funny names, but they did a fantastic feat. They said no to Pharaoh. No, we're not doing it. We're following our conscience. They were early Baptists. They were following their conscience. And they do the work of God. I love that they're innovative and sly. I love when the king's prejudice uh, about those people is played back on him. Well, there's nothing we can do about it. They have the babies before we even get there. You see, when God is feared or revered, 
you fight for the oppressed and you find creative and new and faithful ways to bring life when the world's calling for death. And here's the sacred pattern that you trust. They didn't know what they were going to do. They just knew they weren't killing these babies. They trusted. And the gift emerges. They were the instruments of God. They hadn't been ordained. They didn't go to seminary. But they were the instruments of God. So when Pharaoh says, throw those babies into the Nile, one of those babies that Shipra and Pua rescued from death is thrown into the Nile, but embraced and enveloped by the love of his mother, who in her wisdom places this fine baby boy, three months old, onto the Nile. But in a bat, can you imagine putting your baby out to sea? His sister hid to see what could happen to a little baby. What can happen? There's no way. And then it says the daughter, think about this. The daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe in the river. And she sees the basket and she gets the maid to pull it out. And here's this crying baby. And it says she took pity on him. The message says her heart went out. I mean, what are the chances? Please hear me carefully because I'm not saying I think there's a God who's got some kind of big control panel who makes these things happen. What I'm saying is people who are attuned to the sacred find themselves participants in a story that they don't even know they're part of. She just went down to take a bath. But her heart, her connection to the sacred went out of her. And she takes this baby in. It's as if there's this sacred energy in the world that if we're connected to it, to it will pull us toward goodness and kindness and harmony and love and this sense of abundance that says there's enough for everyone. Friday nights, the Wayside Choir sings for us, He's an on-time God. Oh, yes, He is. God may not be there when you want Him, but He'll be there right on time. He's an on-time God. Oh, yes, He is. Only... It doesn't look like God. In fact, it looks a lot like Pharaoh's daughter. But it's not just Pharaoh's daughter. It's all these people all throughout the world, including you, who have those moments when you're invited to be part of a story you don't even know is going on. It's like you're being choreographed into a dance that you don't even know is happening. Call it spiritual synchronicity. Where each person plays her role. Each boy, each girl plays their role in this work of love. The daughter's heart goes out to this little Hebrew boy and as if on cue, the sister says, hey, I have an idea. Let me find someone to nurse the baby. Goes and gets the mother of the baby who is now paid 
to raise the baby. If that sounds crazy, if that sounds too hocus-pocusy for you, I want to invite you to pay attention to your life and see if there's not a force of love, kindness, goodness. Let's just call it God, who works in and through people to deliver the oppressed. And by the way, if you're keeping score, that's five women in this story. No men, five women. Shipra, Pua, Moses' mother who made the boat, Pharaoh's daughter, and Moses' big sister. All instruments of the divine. My point is not that God is a woman. God's not always showing up as a woman. But God often shows up as a woman because God is always Kind. Kind. Standing for the oppressed. Caring about you and your oppression. Meeting every person at the point of their need, not with shame, not with guilt, but with love. With healing. With inclusion. With welcome. This is the very nature of the God we're worshiping. So finally this, one of the tasks of preaching is to help people locate themselves in the biblical story. But here's the deal with this story. We get to play all the parts because sometimes we're the king. We're we're, we're the king of Egypt. We're the Pharaoh. We have the power. We have the privilege. We have the position. We have all that the world wants and needs Last night I saw a film at the Speed Museum called Whose Streets? It's about Ferguson, Missouri and the aftermath of the killing of Michael Brown. And I found myself in that viewing realizing sometimes I'm the Pharaoh. I'm a white male in America today. I have so much privilege. And so I'm invited in that moment to repent, to repair. Because sometimes I'm the king. But there are other times when I get to play a wise and brave woman. I get to play the role in the drama that I don't even fully understand. But I trust that when I give my kindness to the world, whether it's at the grocery store or in the pulpit or standing before the governor, that kindness is felt and conveyed. Because it's about God. It's about caring for the poor. So sometimes I get to be that wise and brave woman. It's so fun. But sometimes I'm not the king and sometimes I'm not the wise woman. There are times when I'm the powerless and vulnerable baby floating in a basket atop a sea of troubles. And all I can do, all you can do in that moment is await the visit, await the gift to see out of no way, is there any way? Could there be God's way? And regardless of what role we play, God can be detected and seen and felt and experienced and healing happens to the glory of God. Let's pray together.
Make the ancient story our story. And as we find ourselves in this old story, may the spirit of love today call us and convict us and empower us to be your people now and always. In the name of Jesus, who is the Christ, we pray. Amen.